I just love the name of this sermon series. By the way, at the end of the service, we have dum-dums in the back and uh, smarties. We've been going through stupid things, <laughs> dumb things that Christians say, good Christians say, right? I've heard since I was a little kid stupid things all the time, and you believe them thinking, you know, good things happen to those who take care of themselves, and you know, you're like, that is not in the Bible. I, I don't think I've ever read that. God helps those who help themselves. What is good about being a Christian is we do have a foundation to go to. So if my idiot brother or friend says something that's not in the Bible, I can go and go, well, at least I cleared that up. Now I can go back and tell him how wrong he was, right? <laughs> that would not ultimately be the plan, although Paul got to tell lots of people what was wrong, I'm going to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight, and we're going to pick apart one dumb statement that lots of us follow. Let your conscience be your guide. Follow your heart. Let me tell you something. Walt Disney said, and I googled this this week just to find out how many statements on follow your heart, and you know, you see it on these social media posts, and follow your heart, and you'll be happy forever. Walt Disney said, let your heart guide you. It whispers, so listen closely. My heart does not whisper. When I feel like I want to do something, my heart tells me loudly, do that thing. And then I have to go to wise counsel and check myself. Other people might not hear their heart because they think everybody else knows better and you ask your friend and they know better. What does it mean to follow your heart when it sounds good to say follow your heart, right? The old show, Pinocchio, was told after he screwed up a couple of times, let your conscience be your guide, right? So as little kids, we are told and believe, let your conscience be your guide. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the whole book, really, Paul is defending himself from the Corinthians. Paul was not a traditional apostle. He was not Peter, James, and John. He did not walk around with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was crucifying and stoning apostles like Stephen while Peter, James, and John were doing the right stuff. So it was, he was not trusted for a while then finally gets trusted, establishes the church in Corinth, leaves, says he's coming back, writes to the second Corinthians, forgive me, I couldn't make it. Now these people are saying, you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You're a liar. I can't trust anything that you have to say anyway. I doubted you from the beginning. And they have false teachers in the church saying, well, don't trust him. Don't believe what he's saying. Let's just start over. We've already got a church. We're doing the right things. We're good to go. Paul's motive to writing this was not to correct them so much as to restore them in a spirit of gentleness so that the person who was the false teacher would be restored, so that everyone would be united, as we're going to talk about later, in the faith. Because honestly, it's easy when I am walking in my faith to look out and see something from afar because I haven't been to the Grand Canyon. I haven't been there, 
But I know what should be going on there. I have opinions about what should be going on there. It's easy for us to get that way in church. So in honor of the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand. The words are going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. But we're going to read through this passage of scripture. It's just two verses in verse 12 and 14 of chapter 1. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. Just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. You can hear his attitude. He promised to come to the Corinthians. He did come. He spent a year and a half when he founded the church. He comes back in Acts chapter 20. It talks about this. But he didn't come this time. They were saying he's operating out of the flesh. The reason I did not come was be, the reason he did not come was because he just changed his mind. He had better things to do. So the attack was on Paul's character and his integrity. And he answers these straight out in verse 12, the testimony of our conscience. Conscience. What does your conscience say? What is the testimony of your conscience? I want us to look tonight at four basic truths about our conscience that we can count on for sure in light of Scripture. Number one, all of our conscience is to be a signal. When I drive down Bellingrath Road, I know when Foul River Road is coming because there is a blinking yellow light that tells me a mile away where my friend's house is. Where I'm going to go. So up at that signal, I know that I have a decision to make, but I have time before I even make it to that signal to make it there. I know that I have a decision to make. The word conscience comes from the Latin word con, which means with, and science, which means to know. You put that together to know within yourself. All of us were born with a conscience. We're going to say this several times in this message. But just because you have a conscience doesn't mean you're following God's will. The Holy Spirit just happens to be the third person of the Trinity who is God himself. And you can follow your conscience places where he is not leading, right? I have often followed my conscience in places where I wondered how I got there. Because I saw the signal, I knew that I was going to have to make a choice, and I even knew in God's word before I got there that I was going to have to make a decision, and that I almost knew what the decision was based on God's word, yet I still made the wrong decision. The signal is basically a warning. If we look at Romans 1 in verse 18 and 19, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I don't want to admit the truth. I already know everything. I'm good. I'm just going to pretend that doesn't exist. For what can be known about God is plain to them 
because God has shown it to them. A good friend of mine, I ask about his, what do you think about these things? I try not to think about them. You can't feel guilty about what you don't think about when you suppress the truth. God gives every one of us a conscience, and that is known. What is known about God is evident to every single one of us. When I was four years old, I was asking, how in the world did I get here? How do you know to ask that question? God is our witness. Our conscience is our witness. We have the ability to seek knowledge in and of ourselves because God put it there knowing there was a God-sized hole there that only he could fill and he wants us to ask the question until he fills it. He wants to lift himself up so that all men will come unto him. It's his desire that no one would perish, right? So he gives us signal. I heard about an atheist. He was teaching his kids that there is no God. They're going to bed one night. And one of the little boys says, Daddy, do you think God knows we don't believe in him? <laughs> it's a great question. At some point, we're going to have to answer that question ourselves. What do I really believe when I'm going to bed at night? Because what I believe is generally how I act or how I respond to the yellow light. Within every heart, there's just a knowledge of God because he put it there. Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. We're guilty. Even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Our conscience can bear witness against ourselves. That blinking light tells me you've got a decision to make. John MacArthur calls the conscience your soul's warning system. Think of it this way and we'll move on. Who has a GPS in their car and on your phone? If you put the wrong information in that GPS, it will lead you to a wrong location. God created the conscience to be our inner voice. And like the GPS, your conscience can be fed the wrong thing. A few years ago, a 16-year-old, 67-year-old Belgian woman named Sabine Moreau followed her GPS directions and went 800 miles out of the way. She was going to drive 90 miles to meet her friend, but instead she crossed five countries and 800 miles only to realize, oops, how did I get here? Sin will take you farther than you want to go. If we aren't paying attention close to the signal that God gives us, we can be derailed on a path that God gives us as well. Amen? Number two, your conscience can be seared. Your conscience can be seared. It's not infallible. It can be corrupted. The Bible talks all over about how people corrupt their conscience. Titus talks about that. It says in chapter 1, verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Jesus said it's what comes out of a man that defiles a person. Right? Not what comes into it. 
Not what you eat, not what you drink. It's what comes out. So we hold things that aren't dear to us. And we talk to ourselves about, ah, I've driven past this light a whole bunch of times. There's really not that much traffic there. Right? Until one day, is there even a blinking light there? Hmm. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. No, that'll never happen to me. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It's easy to believe things that are comfortable to us. Over and over and over, it's easy to accept things that I've already gone this way, I've never really been hurt, I'm okay. You're literally carterizing your conscience. Seared with a hot iron. When something is sealed like that and seared like that, it scars over and heals until it doesn't bother you anymore. It doesn't bother me to not think about that anymore. So I don't have to consider a salvation. So God lets us go our own way. Your conscience can be seared if you keep kicking it to death. It can be warped. It all depends, I think, on two things. One, who you listen to. Who are your friends? Psalm 1.1, David wrote, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight's in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he meditates day and night. It'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf shall not wither and brings forth its fruit in its season. Part of the reason that we don't bring forth fruit is we're listening to the wrong thing. We're not hiding God's word in our hearts so that we won't sin against him. We're hiding his word in our hearts so that we might have better finances. I might hide his word in my heart so that I can you know, have a better life and it's good for my kids and I want them to go to church and have good values. But really, I haven't hid God and his Holy Spirit in my heart that he's walking around with me, empowering me to live. There's a big difference between checking off the box going to church and checking off the box with your Savior. Having time with Him. Being thankful in all circumstances. Praying about everything. Trusting Him in everything. Your conscience cannot be seared if He's there all the time and you're sensitive to His presence, can it? Because you want Him to make changes that you don't necessarily want to make. You let him change your mind internally and give you wisdom. David was saying all the wisdom that I have comes from above. Not if I go to Auburn University and sit and let them teach me whether it's okay to call her a they and him a them. That's ungodly counsel. We are literally from the inside out imploding in our nation because we are sitting at the wrong feet. As Christians, we should be sitting at the feet of the God of the universe and listening and knowing that what we see is just an enemy who's trying to take captive 
seared consciences. That ours is not. And he's freed us to share the truth of God's love. Not just the truth that they're wrong. Because they will know us by what? Our love. I believe his love can break through any broken life. Because it broke through mine. And it can broke through yours. We've seen miracle after miracle after miracle of lives that should not be changed, but have been. And I've also seen evidence of lives who should have been changed, of people in church all the time whose lives were not changed because their consciences were seared. You can check the box with a seared conscience, or you can have a relationship with the God of the universe and let him break your conscience and fill it. That's a big difference, and that's why David was called a man after God's own heart. That verse is saying we shouldn't hang around bad influences. Remember the woman from Belgium who went 800 miles out of the way? When she was asked why she went out of the way so far, her answer was this, I was distracted. (laughs) You think? (laughs) I mean, how do you cross another country line with a, I guess she's just looking at the little line on the GPS. I guess Sally's down here. God tells us the same thing. If you're looking at the wrong thing, you're still going the wrong direction. Martin Niemöller, a pastor in Berlin during the Nazi regime, was also a renowned U-boat commander during World War I. He was persecuted and imprisoned by the Nazi army only after remaining silent for too long. He wrote these words from experience. When they came for the Jews, I said nothing. I wasn't Jewish. When they came for the socialist, I said nothing. I wasn't a socialist. When they came for the Catholics, I said nothing. I wasn't a Catholic. But when they came for me... Nobody else said anything. There was no one else left. A seared conscience can infiltrate until there's no one else left. Even for Christians, we can sear our conscience. Here's the good news. Your conscience can be strengthened. Remember I said just a second ago, it's who you listen to. It's also what you're reading. Acts 23, 1 says, looking intently at the council. Paul said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Your conscience can be strengthened if you have a weak conscience because of sin. You can strengthen it. Paul had nothing to hide, so he had nothing but good to share. So when he got in front of the council, everything was already written, and it only made sense afterwards. I have often made presumptions about things I did not completely know, even though that information never changed. When that information got back in front of me like it did to the Corinthians, when they got all this information, they realized, well, Paul was being, he was following the Holy Spirit. We were wrong in misjudging him. The false teachers did stop teaching bad because they, were, they had the truth revealed. That is great news. Romans 9, 1. 
I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience hears me. Witness in the Holy Spirit. My conscience bears with me. Witness in the Holy Spirit. What is Paul saying? He spends most of his time with God. He spends most of his time in Bible study. The reason that they had to have deacons and people to serve was because they needed more time to spend time with God in Bible study. David said this in Psalm 119, 97 through 102. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night, all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. When you know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with the God of the universe, you have testimony in your own life of how that happened and what happens. You grow in your faith. You you are reminded that just yesterday he strengthened you for yesterday's needs. And you followed him today and he strengthened you for today's needs. You can't get anybody who's as good to listen to as the God of the universe. I used to have to see a sponsor. And I came to the conclusion one night that there was no one who was there better than God. And that if I got hit by a truck can't believe I said that because I did get hit by a truck. But if, if I got hit by a truck and I wound up in front of the God of the universe, he would say I was here the whole time. And I couldn't say Bill didn't answer the phone. I had no excuse. But I also had no comfort because I was talking to the wrong people about the wrong thing, which was me and my conscience. Why do I feel guilty about feeling like I'm going to feel guilty or screw up? I'll tell you why. Because I wasn't as much in here as I was out here. And it does matter who you listen to. And he will change you. And he will strengthen you. And that's good news. The question is, do you believe that? Oftentimes we'll encounter people that will go to church and say, I'm not really being fed. My knees aren't really being met let me tell you something we come to church not just to get fed but to feed each other's needs we come here to hear from God so that we can make modifications that actually do feed other people years ago when the telegraph was the main form of communication a local office advertised for employees they they needed helpers so a member of young men go into the post office or go into the telegraph office and they sit and they fill out their paperwork the, uh, they wait to be summoned into the office because the guy says, just fill out this paperwork, give it to me, and then we'll call you in when you're ready. They look confused. The employee hadn't come out to ask anybody, but all of a sudden, one of the guys that's in the area gets up, walks into the office. Moments later, he comes out. The boss comes out, and he says, we got a guy. And they're all like, well, I didn't even have a chance. I had no chance. The boss said this. The last several minutes while you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, come right in. The job is yours. 
None of you heard it or understand it. He did. The job is his. That is who I would want working for me if I had a telegraph office. But why do we not hear from the Holy Spirit of the living God? Why are we not strengthened? Why do we go back to being seared? Because our mind's already made up and I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm not hearing the soft voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to the loud voice of my heart. The loud voice of my heart's already believed the wrong thing. The loud voice of my heart has already got his mind made up that I'm just going to sit here and wait. That guy's going to come out any minute because he said he was going to come out any minute without hearing what the guy really had to say. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to hide anything from you. He wants to strengthen you. I think we need to spend more time here and listening. Number four, your conscience can be stainless. Your conscience can be stainless. God wants you to enjoy the blessings of a clear conscience. It's not fun when you have a guilty conscience. The IRS every year <laughs> collects tax information from you and me and money, right? They get a letter every year from guilty people who feel guilty about cheating on their taxes. And one year, this guy sends in five $100 bills with an anonymous note that says, I feel guilty. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. And now the IRS is hiring 47,000 tax auditors. Right? Paul, 87,000. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm a little nervous. I might get audited. I'm just kidding. Paul lived his life with a clear conscience. And when he gave his testimony in Acts 24 before the governor, Felix, he said this in Acts 24, 16. I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and men. It's important to live that way. There's three fundamental ways we can live that way. One, make things right. Paul wasn't sinless. Paul didn't have a sinless conscience. No one does except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a sinless conscience, though. You and I don't necessarily have that all the time, but Paul did. What he said is, I'm a sinner. He said that Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, not even one. Knowing that he was one of those who needed a savior. How do you get a clear conscience? How do you do what's right? I would say, Christian soap. 1 John 1.9. If you confess, homologal. Homologal means, the word confess means Agree with God. It doesn't mean just confess what you think, oh Lord, I smoked. Right? It means, oh Lord, I was not understanding to my wife. Oh Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me, I don't want to be like this. I want to be stronger that I might change and be a better husband. We all live with spouses and they're going to get on our nerves sometimes, right? We all have friends, and they're going to get on our nerves sometimes. But if we confess our sins, agree with God our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we agree with God, then he will forgive us our trespasses. 
God is always faithful. So that's what Paul did. When you're wrong, you leave the altar. You go make it right, and then you come back to the altar and offer your gift. There's a practical way you can get right. It's always practical. I'm sorry I messed up. Please forgive me. It's one thing to say I'm wrong. It's another thing to say I'm wrong. Please forgive me and change. Right? Make it right. Make it really right. I have sinned against you and the church. Will you forgive me? And he's faithful and just. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And you will have fellowship with one another. That's what the Bible tells us. Second, believe the truth. I know people who have struggled with guilt for a long time. Conscience and the Holy Spirit kind of work in tandem. And we kind of think of them as the same. But honestly, they're not the same. The Holy Spirit is not your conscience. The Holy Spirit can convict you that you follow his way. But to some people, they have trouble when it comes to a guilty conscience. God forgave me. I've been forgiven. And 30 years ago, I was forgiven. But I still feel guilty because of what I knew I was doing at the time was wrong. I had an abortion. I knew what I was doing was wrong. But I did it anyway out of convenience. I had a divorce. You fill in the blanks. So we go back and go, God can't forgive me. God can't forget. Well, he did. Lots of people have that, especially over big sins that we've forgiven, forgotten, or committed in the past. We can't forgive ourselves. If you're going to silence your conscience, you have to know the truth. The truth will set you free, right? What's the truth? Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the truth. A clear conscience comes when we believe the truth. I think the trouble is we believe the truth, but then we still believe a lie. And you can't believe both at the same time and move forward in your faith. You're either forgiven or you're not. If you're forgiven, but then you still feel guilty, then you don't fully believe that you're forgiven, do you? He's forgiven you. The blood of Jesus has, has cleansed you. I can tell you, the past is in the past. The future is bright, and it's in the future. The past is over, and you've been forgiven. Acts 10, 15 says, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. I have to learn to think like he tells me to. When he says, be holy as I am holy, and think holy as I as unholy, I need to do that. By seeing myself the way he sees me, not seeing myself the way I would judge me if I were him. I am not a very good God. I'm a judgmental person who thinks, doesn't often think twice before he does things. Walk around with your shoe in your mouth if you're not careful. God is not like me. Put that together with 1 John 1, 9 and the Christian's bar of soap. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. 
The devil's going to work on you. He's going to tell you you're not worthy. You're not, unho you're not unholy. You're an unrighteous sinner, and you have to go to church every week and say you're sorry and that you're a terrible person. Don't listen to him. No, what we do is we elevate our sin above the blood of Jesus Christ. Never elevate your sin over God's son, over the blood of God's son. That was very expensive. That was a gift for you and me. A gift for you and me that forgave you from all of your unrighteousness. You can believe it. Finally, you walk with God. You make it right. You believe it. And you walk with God. Because what you believe, you will carry out, right? Paul walked with God. He wasn't perfect. He had times where he got lost his temper. He wasn't perfect. But he knew how to get right with God. Romans 12, 18, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, make peace with all men. Don't argue about non-issues. Let the main thing stay the main thing, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the good thing. That is the good news. Think of it this way. You're keeping short lists of sin. We tend to keep a long list of sin for myself. Paul also wrote in Romans that the, the spiritual man focuses on the things of the spirit while the carnal man the things of the flesh. So when I'm thinking on the things of the flesh, what does that make me? A Christian who's thinking carnally. He wants me to not focus on my sin, but recognize that I am a forgiven sinner in Jesus Christ's name and focus on Christ. Because Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. A clear conscience is what comes out of that. I've been forgiven. I am right with God. And now when I mess up, I fess up and I get up. When I mess up, I fess up and then I get up. And I keep walking with the king. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. And I want you to think about a clear conscience in your life. What walking with God looks like in your life. And I'm going to read a passage of scripture that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Before we have communion. Chapter 11, verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. In verse 18, he was saying, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. There were people who were meeting for the wrong reasons. They were having the potluck, and you had the, the clique of the wealthy over here who were 
were meeting with food and then you had poor people who could barely afford to eat and they're having a blast and they're having nothing. Paul says, what are you guys doing? Jesus washed the apostles' feet. You ought to be feeding them. But do that when you get home because right here we have a solemn assembly. Every time we take communion, we are remembering his death and, and resurrection for our sin that we are cleansed. That's why I get emotional. He was passionate for me. Why can't I be passionate for him? It's almost impossible not to be, I think. I don't think I'm weird. I think I'm appreciative. I do stupid stuff and forget that I'm off track. I forget to look at the signal. I, I don't make things right when I can and I hold on to things when I shouldn't. I'm judgmental when I shouldn't. If there's anything like that, your life now is the time to not eat and drink judgment on yourself but rather Lord forgive me you died for me and right now I'm good in your eyes I want to be better in your eyes I want to be stronger in your eyes I want to live for you because you love me and you're, you died for me. We have an opportunity to take like 30 seconds and just pray where you're seated or you can come down to the altar. It doesn't matter. I don't want us to stand up yet. I just want you to bow your heads and take a moment and pray. And if there is anything that is separating you from God, I believe with all of my heart, he'll express that to your heart. His Holy Spirit will make intercession with you. If you don't know Jesus and you want to, it's simple. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. So I just want you to pray in your heart right now where you sit if you don't know him a prayer similar to this Lord I don't know you but I want to and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I turn from my sins today believing you're cleansing me that I might get up anew and walk out of here a stronger person you to do. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I just want you to share that with me at the end of the service because I want to give you some tools how you can walk forward in your faith. Everyone else, pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we value the salvation you've offered us and we know that it only comes through Jesus Christ and you said in your word that if we confess our sins you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness Lord show us 
how we can be united to you and stay there. Help us to believe on a regular basis before we leave that our sin list is shorter than the magnificence of your salvation and that we don't ever elevate our sin above the salvation that we've received through the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for such a great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, he took the bread, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Every time you drink, drink in remembrance of me. stand at this time and we're just going to sing a song